This is Locked On Red Sox on the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game, and you guessed it, the Red Sox lost again last night, third game in a row. They are now 1-3 and three on the season, having lost the last two of a three-game series to the Orioles this weekend, and now the opener of a series against the Mets, which will be played two games at Fenway Park, and then the following two games in New York, if the Red Sox decide that they are willing to travel. Travel has been kind of a hot-button topic for teams after the news broke on Monday that 17 Marlins players between Sunday and this morning have tested positive for coronavirus. As a result, the Nationals took a vote, and the overwhelming majority of players said that they do not feel comfortable going down to Florida to play. And if the Red Sox are smart, they will say the same, because it's pretty insulting to Eduardo Rodriguez, who is currently sidelined due to a heart condition that he developed from having coronavirus, for them to still go down to Florida after what has happened to the Marlins. As a result, the Marlins will not play again until Sunday. The Phillies, who played the Marlins this weekend, have had the first two of their games against the Yankees postponed. And now, as a result, the Yankees and Orioles will play each other instead of playing their intended opponents this week. The Orioles were supposed to be in Florida for the Marlins' home opener this week, while the Yankees were set to face the Phillies in Philadelphia. Neither of those series will be happening on time, if at all, this year. And so instead, the Yankees and the Orioles will face each other. But this has been a really terrible start for the Red Sox. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to spin it. Um, People who think I'm too negative, well, you must be watching a different game than I am because this has been some of the worst baseball I have ever witnessed in my life. The Red Sox have now allowed seven-plus runs in three of their first four games for the first time since 1901. To give you a little context, in 1901, the first World Series wouldn't be played for another two years. Babe Ruth was six years old, and Fenway Park was still 11 years away from opening. So the Red Sox are currently historically bad. And you can point most of the blame to the pitchers, but the Red Sox offense has been less than stellar as well. Andrew Benintendi, unsurprisingly, is still a terrible leadoff hitter though he did get a leadoff base hit last night and then steal second base. But unfortunately, he then fell apart later in the game. So he currently has, I think, one hit for the entire season. Mitch Moreland had an impressive night last night, though. He hit his second home run of the season and followed it up with an RBI base hit to drive in another run later in the game. But the Red Sox were still unable to overcome the massive seven-run deficit that was handed to them by their first two pitchers of the night, Josh Osich and Jeffrey Springs. It's surprising that the Red Sox chose to use an opener last night at all, given the fact that Zach Godley has actual starting pitching experience and ultimately entered the game as the third pitcher of the night and struck out seven batters over four innings. He clearly is one of the better pitchers on one of, if not the worst, pitching staffs in all of Major League Baseball. And it's pretty puzzling that he wasn't actually just given the start at all. When asked about it after the game, Ron Renicki said that the reason that Godley wasn't given the actual start is because he wanted pitchers who could face off against the lefty-heavy Mets lineup. And technically, that makes sense. If the Red Sox had good pitchers who could face off against lefties, I would believe it. But Zach Godley arguably has more starting pitching experience than almost anyone on this very unsuccessful pitching staff. And so it doesn't really matter if the guy you have pitching is a lefty, so it's a good lefty-on-lefty matchup, because the lefty pitchers he used aren't good pitchers. I would still have rather had a pitcher with starting experience out there, especially now that we've seen what Godley can do and the fact that he was pretty impressive during his summer camp appearances. 
So hopefully after this, Ron Renicki will learn his lesson and not do that again. I mean, the Red Sox can't really get that much worse. But the Red Sox also might have another new arm option on the market. They did send Dylan Covey, who they acquired last week from the Rays, down to their alternate training site after he had one of the worst debuts I've ever seen by a pitcher, arguably. But that's not really surprising because his ERA has never been below five and a half in a single season in his first three years in Major League Baseball. So I'm not really sure why they even got him in the first place. But an actual viable arm is now on the market. Mike Fultonevich, who was DFA'd by the Braves last night during the Braves game against the Rays that he started, has actual potential to be a good option for this team. He's only 28 years old, but he has over five years of major league experience. And in 2018, he was one of the best starters in the National League. He posted a 2.85 ERA that season with 202 strikeouts and 183 innings, all as a starter, and finished eighth in the National League Cy Young voting. He has dealt with arm problems and did miss a portion of last season, and his velocity has declined. But he did finish last season with a 1.73 ERA over his last seven starts, and then unfortunately got shelled in Game 5 of the National League Division Series against the Cardinals. But the Braves seem to be all in it to win it this year, despite the fact that it's a 60-game season, and so they have designated him for assignment. And as of right now, Mike Fultonevich is available, and the Red Sox should pursue him. Best case scenario, he figures it out, and suddenly the Red Sox have a somewhat productive starter with years of major league experience. And worst case scenario, he is just yet another arm that isn't very good, but at least he's another warm body. If you listened to the episode yesterday, my friend Jordan Landry joined me to talk about what's going on with the Marlins, what's going on with the Red Sox, all kinds of stuff. And we had such a good time that we recorded for way longer than these episodes usually run, which means that I will end today's episode by including an excerpt of our conversation in which we got into detail about Andrew Benintendi and what's going on with the Red Sox in terms of leadoff and all of that. But before I get to that, I want to talk about rockauto.com for a second because there are so many makes and models of cars on the market nowadays that it's impossible to stock all of the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. The other thing about a traditional chain storefront is that they're going to charge you more. You could be spending 30, 50, even 100% more for the exact same auto parts that you can find at rockauto.com. They charge mechanics and do-it-yourselfers exactly the same price, whereas most chain stores have different price tiers for the professionals and the regular folks. The reason their prices are so low? Because rockauto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. And if you've been as stressed out as I am about everything that's going on in sports, you probably need CBDMD. It doesn't matter if you're not a professional athlete, I'm definitely not, or if you're a stay-at-home parent, or if you spend eight hours a day sitting at your computer, everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. Their CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. And their CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. 
And to make it even easier to try out this amazing duo of topicals and everything else CBDMD has to offer, they're offering all our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code LOCKEDONMLB at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com with promo code LOCKEDONMLB for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. And we're going to end today's episode with my conversation with Jordan about Andrew Benintendi because he is someone who is really knowledgeable about stats, and he often gives me a different perspective on things that I usually look at mostly with the eye test. They need to make moves, and the guy that I am most curious to see as to where he'll be playing on September 1st, again, if the season's still going on, is Andrew Benintendi. I want to know where he will be on September 1st, because the way he's played, and it's not just knee-jerk for three games, or two games in a plate appearance, not just knee-jerk for the 2019 season because anyone who plays the MLB long enough is going to have a down year. It's going to happen. But really, since the All-Star break of 2018, that man has been objectively one of the worst qualifying offensive outfielders in Major League Baseball. He's not been a very good hitter, and his defense is arguably the worst in baseball for outfielders. Is he part of your future plans? He's already wrapped up, uh, I think he was a two-year, $10 million extension to avoid another year of arbitration negotiations. You need to know if he's in your future plans because the longer you wait, the the lower his value drops. Really by mid-August, if he's going to be on your team in 2021, and if he isn't, you need to start proactively trading or trying to trade him. So I totally agree. And I mean, I... I think you and I have been on this page for a while and it's frustrating because not being mean, I'm just saying like he would do better lower in the lineup. We've seen him do better lower in the lineup. So it doesn't benefit him or the team when he hits leadoff. This has been going on for over a year now. And I know we missed a lot of baseball, so it's not technically a full year, but he bat leadoff from opening day last season until the first weekend in June. And that should have stopped after the first month. It was legitimately, I got these numbers from you. He was the worst first inning leadoff hitter in 20 years of Red Sox leadoff men. Yeah. He couldn't couldn't even break 100. Right up now. This was his slash line. This was as of May 24th of last year in the first inning. And obviously, you know, being a leadoff hitter stems more from just the first inning because overall he was eh last year just in general, but. Looking at, yeah, from 2019 to 2000, he was the only one with an OPS in the first inning below, I'm looking quickly, I think it was 5, yeah, 523, which is Jacoby Ellsbury in 2012. I was going to say, it was, was Jacoby Ellsbury. His was 272. Yeah. 190 OBP, 081 uh, slugging percentage, so a 282 OPS in the first inning. And obviously, that's a very small sample size because you're talking about the whole game. It's just one plate appearance. But it's a big plate appearance, especially when you're a team that needs. I mean, look at Mookie Betts versus Andrew Benintendi. Mookie was an incredible leadoff hitter. He was almost always getting on base or even hitting a, a leadoff home run. And you go from that, which sets the tone of this team kicks ass from literally the first minute of the game, their first offensive minute of the game to a guy who is basically an automatic out every single time he's starting the game. And you look at that and you go from, we got this, to, oh my God, we already have an automatic out on the board every single first inning. You can't discount that. I mean, that kind of mental stuff plays a huge factor in the game. It does. Yeah, I'm looking. And I, I, honestly, I think if, given the given the way he was the rest of the game, I think I could have survived 
or I could have lived with the struggle in the first inning if it weren't for the 32.5% strikeout rate he had in the first inning. Outside of that, the only other person above 20% was Brock Holt in 2014. The rest were – Mookie Betts was 19% in 2018 in the first inning, and then everybody else was below that. So the, it's not the fact that he was getting out. It's the fact that he wasn't even giving himself a chance to get on base because he was striking out a third of the time. So one out of every three games, he started the game with a strikeout. And I think it, it, there was a streak where it was like six or seven straight games that he was striking out to start the game. And that's a not strikeout or like a pop-out flyout situation? Just strikeouts? Yeah. This was just, this was just strikeouts. 32.5% just, oh of Oh, my his- God. As of, at, that was obviously there was like another week where he was the leadoff hitter, but as of May twenty fourth, twenty nineteen, that season, thirty two and a half percent of his first inning plate appearances ended in a strikeout. I mean, I think between the numbers and also just like how he looks, his defense was not great last year. He looked kind of lost in left field as well. I'm not super up to date on his defensive stats from last year. But he just seems like he has totally fallen apart. And I know that he was great in 2016 and he was solid in 2017 on like a not so great Red Sox team. But at this point, you've had a full season of what he was doing last season. You've had multiple months of him batting leadoff to the point where I was genuinely shocked that Ron Renicki used him for the exhibition games. And then for two of the first three games of the season, like if you have other options, why are you not trying them out? Why didn't he use the exhibition games to see if Verdugo or Pilar or Peraza could hit when the games didn't count? And why on earth was he your leadoff man? I mean, opening day that the Red Sox had 17 hits and not a single one of them was Benintendi's. Yeah. Benintendi hasn't gotten a hit yet to start the year, if I'm not mistaken. No, I, I mean, he didn't, he didn't. Yeah, I couldn't believe. I mean, Pilar had a home run yesterday, and they still put Benintendi in to pinch for him. And I was like, seriously? I mean, Benintendi had good pinch hit numbers, I think, maybe not last year, but the year before. But still, I feel bad because he genuinely looks frustrated. You know it can't be easy for him. But at the same time, baseball is a team sport. So if you have a guy who is supposed to be playing a crucial role, and you've got, like, Jackie Bradley Jr. Is hitting, has, like, over 600 batting average. It's just obviously very small sample size. But mm-hmm. Benintendi is supposed to be a better offensive player than Jackie Bradley Jr. Everyone knows that. And Benintendi cannot hit the right side of a barn right now. And not only that, but he just looks totally lost out there. And I don't understand how – like, I just don't think – that Boston is going to be a conducive environment for him to turn it around. I genuinely think he needs a different environment. This is just not working for him. Yeah. And people, again, I don't want people to think that this is incredibly knee jerk and we're basing this off of three games. It's based on last season. And I, I'm, I know I'm more advanced stat heavy than, than you are. I know you, you don't really use like weighted runs created plus and stuff like that. Yeah. Tell me about the, uh, the heavier stats. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm scrolling to my tweet yesterday about Benintendi. Okay, yeah. So Benintendi last year, or people, I saw some people talking about how, you know, we need to stop being knee-jerk because it's been three games and everyone's riding Andrew Benintendi. But this is him since the All-Star break of 2018. Remember, he went on a massive hot streak and almost got into the All-Star game in 2018. Like right before, yeah. like the last three weeks, he was scorching hot. And he was just pounding the ball left and right. He was starting to hit for power, stuff like that. But anyway. 
since the 2018 All-Star break, and I believe this is just shy of 1,000 plate appearances, 267, 341, 412 slash line. So quick math. It's a 753 OPS, which is, it's all right. It's above average. It's okay. 324 weighted on base average, which basically just changes the weight of how you get on base. It's relatively simple. But 98 weighted runs created plus, so he's 2% below league average. Just 15 home runs, which is pathetic because he was a guy who was supposed to have 2020 power uh, or 2020 ability. 20% of his at-bats are ending in strikeouts, and his uh, wins above replacement is 32nd out of 47 qualifying outfielders in that time period. Not to mention negative nine outs above average since the start of 2018. And last year alone, he had negative 10 in left field, which only six guys in baseball were worse in out in the outfield. So he's not, it's, it's not that we're ragging on him for the sake of ragging on him for three games. It's the fact that this has been an, a, a recurring thing for almost two calendar years now obviously you missed half a year because of the pandemic but this has been going on for about two calendar years now and people were like long-haired benintendi's the good benintendi and really it's not that much better than the benintendi that we're see- that we've seen the last year year and a half of baseball so it's just like i said i really am curious to see and maybe he turns it around and he and he you know he gets hot and all of a sudden we're we look like fools for having this conversation today but I'm really curious to see what team he's playing for on September 1st. I Or really, I think more fairly to look towards next year, where he'll be yeah. next year. Cause I, I don't know if anyone's going to look at him and be like, yeah, we should trade for him because he could be a really a key piece and get us over the hump in the, in the postseason. Because I don't know if that's necessarily true. But I'm really curious to see if he is a part of the Red Sox future plans. And I think they're only only committing to one more year of his arbitration at such a low cost doesn't tell me it was kind of like this is make or break time bro if you don't get it together you're probably gone I mean look I have players who I love and I have players who I'm fine with and players who I don't like and Benintendi has never been a player that I loved but I don't dislike him at all I've always been really happy when he has done well the problem for me is that I can't just like sit back and say it's like sunshine and rainbows it's not he's objectively been terrible for most of the last year plus. And that's not just me, you know, going with the eye test. That's me looking at his stats, talking to you, reading people who are smarter than me. It's it's a matter of, is this guy, like you said, it's a matter of, is this guy a part of the team future? Can he get it together? Because it could very well be that, you know, when he was younger, 2016, 2017, part of 2018, he had, you know, a, just a very long hot streak. And that this is really more of the player that he is that he kind of fizzled out or it could just be that this isn't the right environment for him and that batting leadoff has severely affected, you know, his headspace in terms of like his mental aspect of the game, which I think definitely played a part of it because he said last year, he's like, I bat leadoff in college and I didn't like it. And you kind of heard that and you were like, so why is this happening when we have Mookie bets? Because rationally speaking, I, I couldn't believe it took Cora that long. I was like, wait, so how is it June? And like by that point, it was basically too late. They were already something like 12 games out of first. Mm-hmm. If yeah, somebody no, says it, to it, you it, that I'm that like I'm not good at this position and I don't want to do it, you're really going to force them to do it. That's not that's not going to work, and it's definitely not going to work to keep forcing the matter for months. That's just I mean players, that's that's bad management. Honestly, I hate to say it. Players definitely have a way of both incriminating themselves in terms of like their ability and also 
subtly sending out a cry for help. And I think Benintendi saying that was a, was a subtle cry for help because he definitely improved and it, like people, and I'm not one of those people that don't believe, like, I believe that there is some legitimacy to performance in October. Like I'm not one of those people that just outright discounts and like, Oh, it's just a small sample size because there is a huge mental hurdle. You have to climb in a bigger stage. You know, you right. play it's the, a different, you play the it's a different environment. Game. You're playing the Marlins in May versus playing, you know, the Yankees and the tie runs at third and there's two outs to full count in the bottom of the ninth inning. And you basically decide whether or not the season continues. You know, there's a huge difference in terms of mental capacity. And I feel like people kind of underrate the mental game. I don't think there's as much validity, when, especially when you're looking at small sample sizes, like with Mookie Betts. I don't think that the postseason struggles are necessarily fair yet. I think he only has like 50-something plate appearances in the post. Uh, it's more than that. But it's like it's not a lot of plate appearances to the point where I'm like, no, he just can't hack it. But, like, there's definitely some legitimacy to if you're in a spot where you're not comfortable, you're not going to play well. And, like, people were talking about how the pitcher-catcher relationship means nothing. As someone who pitched uh, growing up, pitcher-catcher relationship means everything. If you don't trust oh, the guy who's behind the plate, your performance is going to stink because you're going to feel like you have to do everything by yourself. You've changed how you pitch because you're like, well, this guy can't really catch this pitch. I'm not going to throw it because if I do, even if I strike the guy out, he's going to end up at first base. And then this guy doesn't have a good arm, so he's going to steal second, he's going to steal third, and then all of a sudden I'm in a jam. So, like, people kind of discount the mental aspect of the game. And if Andrew Benintendi's not comfortable batting first, why the hell is he batting first? Right, and why it's is he batting simple. first? Why is he batting first for a second season in a row when you already have a almost three month sample size of him being absolutely terrible at it? It's not like it's we're not going off of two games in July in the middle of a global pandemic. We're going off the fact that he shouldn't have been batting leadoff at all this season, period, because of last season. He didn't prove that yeah. it was a place where he was good. And so, you know, people who are freaking out saying, you know, like you and I are nasty because we we're looking at this rationally saying this is not the right position for him. It doesn't benefit him or the rest of the team for him to be in this spot when you've seen him be successful in the two hole, in the five. Like, this is just a bad decision. And it's not mm -hmm. an attack on him. It's wanting the best for the team and for the player because this is not what's best for anybody. It legitimately is hurting the team. And it's been hurting the team since Cora announced it last winter. Yeah, I, I didn't even understand that at the I, time. I, I said mean, from the second he announced it, I was like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. I legitimately it, was like, why it, is this the choice? Because rationally, I, you understand having a guy come in before Mookie who could get on base means that maybe Mookie's driving in a run when he bats second. But that only works if the guy ahead of Mookie consistently gets on base because otherwise you've moved Mookie out of the position in which he's comfortable for no reason. Right. And that's what we saw for yeah. almost three months last year. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode of Locked on Red Sox. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at GFSTAR1, and you can follow Locked on Red Sox at LO underscore Red Sox. Don't forget to watch the Red Sox take on the Mets tonight at 730. Wear a mask, and as always, go Red Sox.